Hello, all you beautiful people. Eric Gray here with the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic, Iowa's premier functional medicine clinic. Did you know that you can not only be a dedicated listener of the Your Longevity Blueprint podcast, but also a patient of the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic? Yes, that's right. Join thousands of patients who have discovered the root cause of their fatigue, bloating, weight gain, or hormonal imbalance and are living their best life today. Just visit IHHclinic.com to fill out our new patient paperwork online and schedule a discovery call with myself to learn more about how we can help you. Also, I hear almost every day about how much you all love the podcast. So we'd appreciate it if you can spread that love by leaving a five-star review wherever you are listening. We appreciate you. Wellness is waiting, folks. The easiest way to say it, say it is healthy homes are inherently green. Green homes aren't necessarily healthy. Welcome to the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Andy Pace, who works with homeowners, builders, and architects around the globe to create healthy living environments that are safe for residents. You're going to garner so many tips from him today. Why is this so important? Well, healthy homes can lead to healthy occupants. This is part one of a two-part series. In today's show, we're going to talk about what makes a healthy, safe, non-toxic home and what you can do to reduce mold and off-gassing in the home. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the Your Longevity Blueprint Podcast. Today, my guest is Andy Pace, who's a healthy home concierge with over 30 years of experience in the healthy home building materials industry. He's the founder of the Green Design Center and host of the Non-Toxic Environments Podcast. He's an expert at creating healthy homes that are non-toxic and free of off-gassing. He has a strong focus on mold prevention and remediation and works with contractors and home builders around the world to create healthy breathing within the home through proper HVAC systems, humidifiers, and other modes of healthy ventilation. His projects and expertise have been featured in numerous media outlets and industry podcasts, including Men's Health, Architectural Digest, and Wellness Mama, just to name a few. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here with you today. This is going to be a little different topic for my guests, but I was excited to have you on because as you know, my goal is to one day, <laughs> going to be a big project, build a healthy, non-toxic home, not necessarily green home. And we'll mm-hmm. differentiate that through the show. And I've only just started the process and I had one consultation with you. And through that, I thought, Man, I should have recorded all that had it on the show. <laughs> Whoops. Well, that was months ago, and here we are now. So I'm going to record you today Perfect. so that my audience can hear from you just tips on how important healthy home construction is. I know a lot of my guests have interest in that. So we'll get started. But first, I want to ask your story. So how the heck did you, years ago, kind of get into this healthy home industry? You know, quite honestly, it was, um, I guess, uh, just a, it was fate, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so I... All throughout my childhood, I remember sitting at the dinner table with my family. My family has owned a commercial construction material supply company that dates back to the 1930s. So it's in your blood. It is my blood. And so growing up, you know, at the dinner table, we didn't talk about school or sports or whatever. We talked about contractors and architects and projects. And I kind of got the taste of it really young. Fast forward a bit. I'm out of school. And I decided to start working for the family business. This is 1989. And about three years into my career, you know, my job was to work with architects and engineers to make sure they specified 
and detailed the correct materials for certain situations, basically being called a manufacturer's representative or a product rep. Well, one of the products that I was working with was a company that made water-based coatings for industrial use, parking garages, airplane hangers, real high abuse areas. And I remember uh, on this project, we were supplying a water-based epoxy coating for a below-grade parking structure. Now, our crew was doing the work. We put up all the barricades, all the plastic where we needed to. We thought we were doing all the protection needed to. We started getting phone calls from people living in the condos above this parking garage complaining of the odors. We thought, well, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's water-based material. Maybe somebody saw a can being opened and they decided to complain because that has happened. All right, well, we took that under advisement. We just we made sure we were being careful with how we were mixing things. Three of our workers were taken to the hospital because of inhalation complications. Literally couldn't breathe because the curing of this primer coat was sucking the oxygen out of the room. And so, yes, we were scared. We were poisoning our workers, our customers, threatening the 60-plus year history of being in business. And I was young in the industry and, and very nervous. Found a very small company in California called AFM, American Formulating and Manufacturing, and they make products for people with chemical sensitivities and environmental mm -hmm. illness. I knew nothing about that at the time, but they said they had a product that would work. I got it. It worked. And it just like the light hit me that if there are products on the market that are truly healthier for the users, healthier yeah. for the occupants, this is what we should be focusing on. And from that point on, I actually started a spinoff of the family business uh, doing nothing but what we called common sense, healthy building materials. Love it. Can we go back to that product that was off gassing, I guess, if that's what you call it? Sure. So it was water-based. What does that even mean? Great. It does sound healthier, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. We thought that too. And that's why it's such a great question. We found out the hard way that water-based only means that 50% of the liquid is water. Mm -hmm. The other 50% of the liquid in the Could product be you know, <laughs> can be xylene, acetone, ammonia, you name it. Even today, when you see products that are called zero VOC paints and coatings, mm, that doesn't mean zero too. toxins. Yeah, it just yeah, means yeah. it doesn't have certain ingredients that will contribute to outdoor air pollution. Okay, so maybe we'll just get into then. <laughs> yeah. What's the difference between a green home and a healthy home? Kind of before yeah. in the introduction, I was saying... I want a healthy home, not necessarily a green home. And I think many times those terms are maybe inter not intertwined. They're confused, I think. So can you differentiate for the audience what those are? Certainly. The easiest way to say it, say it is healthy homes are inherently green. Green homes aren't necessarily healthy. That's good. And so here's the genesis of it. Back in the mid-90s, we had already gotten our start in business. To the mid to late 90s, an uh, organization called the United States Green Building Council started. They created what's called the LEAD program, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It was a way to measure how eco-friendly, sustainable, energy-efficient a building can be. And they got certain point values for doing certain things. And at the end of the day, you were awarded a score. Which has literally nothing to do with health. I mean, is what Nothing I'm, to okay. do with health. <laughs> exactly. So we had customers coming into our retail showroom and saying, do you have products that meet the LEAD standards for paint? And I'd ask the question, well, why would you like that? Well, I, I want to get a greenhouse, a safe house. I said, do you realize those two words are different? Mm, and lots so of re-education having to happen. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to create my own green product rating system 25 years ago, 22 years mm -hmm. ago, called Degree of Green, where I separated. There's three main categories of what could be called green. 
sustainable, environmentally friendly, and human mm-hmm. friendly. In those three categories would it be a total of 27 different descriptors of why it's called that way. Recycled content, where it's made, is it toxin-free, does it off-gas, and so on and so forth. At this point, then, I'd have customers coming in, and the best way to describe it is the three different customers that would come into the showroom. The first one would come in and say, we have a child with autism. Autistic children have a very hard time being around chemical off-gassing because yeah. it exacerbates their, their, their symptoms. And so can we build a home that's completely free of chemical off-gassing? So I'm looking for a degree of green from a human health standpoint in materials. The next customer walks in and says, I've been on the earth for 55 years. I've been a burden <laughs> to the earth for 55 years. Do you have the ability to help me remodel a home using nothing but recycled, repurposed, renewed materials? Completely different from the first customer. Right, right. right. Third customer walks in and says, I want to build a home with the lowest carbon footprint. Well, that's location of manufacture, transportation, energy mm-hmm. use in the in installation and usage. Again, of all those three customers, neither one of them are incorrect, but they have their different way of how they look at green. Their perspective, yeah. Exactly. So I focused on the human health aspect mainly because that was my passion. I certainly help with the others, but I really focus on the human health because my, I guess, motto for the last um, 30 years has been, what good is saving the environment if we're still poisoning the occupants? Uh, dun, dun, dun. That's good. Yeah, let's focus this podcast on creating a human friendly. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so where does one even begin? I think I that's why I came to you as I was quite frankly overwhelmed. I thought, where does this begin? Does this begin with lot selection? Everything from the grade of the land to which direction the front door is facing? And like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. where does this really begin? Let's it, talk about with new home construction, and then we can also go to with like renovating a current home. But with new uh, home construction, where does this begin? Where this begins is first uh, finding out exactly what the health issues are of the occupants, if there are any, or if we're, are, we, are we just trying to achieve the best we can. So I have clients that are not only chemically sensitive, but they're also sensitive to electromagnetic fields. Mm-hmm. They're also very sensitive to the magnetic fields that are found in the ground just because of, of wow, the Earth's yeah, uh, polarities. Yep. And so, yes, it could go down to lot selection, lot direction. Was the was the lot ever used for a farm field? And if it was, did they use pesticides? Those sort of things. Yeah, I mean, this makes total sense. But yeah. Ah, so we're, yeah. I, so, well, I'm so, in Iowa. I feel like all of the lots at one point right. were farmland. <laughs> so let me talk everybody off the ledge now. Um, <laughs> If you do anything to make your home healthier, it's better than nothing, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always tell people the very first easiest step you can do is make uh, healthier cleaners, use healthier cleaners in your house, take your right. shoes off, things like that. Right. And that makes a huge difference, Small right? steps, yep. But in building a home, it always comes down to when I'm working with a client, it is what are we dealing with? What are we protecting from? And how far do you want to take it? You know, because you can take it to the nth degree And it's going to cost a lot because you're doing so much more than an average Mm -hmm. build. If you are comparing apples to apples, quality level to quality level, building a healthy home should not cost more than building a traditional home. That's good to know. Okay. But what happens is when you're doing a healthy home, there are so many new things to consider that the average home builders don't even think about. This is where the pricing starts to go up and up and up. And you have to decide, is it worth it? Where's that point of return? And I wish we had, I think I told you before, there's, to my knowledge, last time I looked, only one building biologist in our state. 
very few builders who are conscious to making that home like human friendly, if that makes sense. That's where you come in consulting with someone like you who can talk to the builder. And yes. So, so what things should we be prioritizing just in general in our home, in our existing home to make our living environment healthier? When I had spoke with you before, I was kind of asking, what are the big, you know, I'm thinking of what's off gassing. Like what are the big things that are going to be problematic even in a new home and I know we were talking about flooring and um, cabinets. Just, I guess I should go back walls for sure, because you're painting the walls, right? The flooring could off gas, the carpeting cabinets. I mean, that's what my my novice brain is <laughs> going well, to, at least in that direction. Your novice brain actually hit quite a bit of it because honestly, 90% of the chemical off gassing that you'll experience in your home will come from the things you see and touch on a daily basis. So whether you're building a new home or remodeling existing, Mm -hmm. still that same 90% of potential exposure are coming from the things you're probably installing. Flooring materials, number one, because not only is it a large expanse, but it's also very thick. You think of the thickness of engineered wood or carpet or what have you. And I'll, I'll give you this pointer. Carpet is the worst thing you can have in your house, no matter what unless it's a non-toxic synthetic-free carpet. And there's a couple of brands in the market, but 99.9% of the carpets used today are highly toxic. So you're going to have to spill the beans on that. So, (laughs) (laughs) Between the fumes from car exhaust, industrial emissions, and as many of us have experienced recently, smoke from forest fires, the air we breathe is often filled with harmful pollutants. But did you know that the EPA has shown that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air? This is why at my clinic and at my home, I use Air Doctor air filters. These filters are 100 times more effective than ordinary purifiers and help capture smoke, viruses, bacteria, pollen, mold, and dust mites. In fact, they capture 100% of some of the most dangerous ultrafine particles as small as 0.003 microns in size. And that's pretty small. They have a proprietary dual-action carbon gas trap VOC filter, which combines two types of media, activated carbon to remove gas and odors and potassium permanganate to deactivate certain volatile organic compounds, VOCs, like formaldehyde. Air Doctor's auto mode uses a professional-grade air quality sensor to assess the air in the room and immediately adjust to correct levels of air filtration. The sensor will also alert you when your air quality is compromised by changing its indicator lights from green to yellow or red. I discovered this feature almost immediately after installing my Air Doctor at home when the indicator light went from green to red. It got me wondering why the air was so bad and I did some digging. It turned out there was a problem with my furnace. After it was fixed, the Air Doctor sensor immediately turned back to green. Had I not discovered the issue with the help of the Air Doctor, we could have ended up with much greater problems. I often recommend the Air Doctor to my patients dealing with mold toxicity. Of course, I always recommend they remove themselves from the mold exposure as soon as possible, but I understand it takes time to remediate the home. So in the meantime, as well as on an ongoing basis, I recommend they get air doctors running in their homes. One of these machines would be a great Christmas gift for a loved one. Stop by the Integrative Health and Hormone Clinic if you'd like to see different sizes or visit the bonus tab of my website, yourlongevityblueprint.com, to find a special link for $280 off the 83000 using code GRAY15. That's capital G-R-A-Y-15. And watch for even greater promotions during Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But... You must use my link, which we'll post in the show notes. So what is it that's off-gassing from the carpet that's making it so toxic? Like what, the synthetic what, what is it? Generally, it's formaldehyde. 
formaldehyde is not added as a specific ingredient in carpet. Matter of fact, very few products still have formaldehyde or formalin added as a specific ingredient. It comes out of a cured surface because of the chemical process of what was being created. For instance, in carpeting, you'll get formaldehyde coming from the dyes that were used on the fibers. You'll get formaldehyde coming from the styrene butadiene rubber, that sponge backing on the you know, that backside of the carpet. Sure. You'll get formaldehyde coming from that. Anything that has a flame retardant, a, um, um, a pesticide or a mildicide, most often they'll release small bits of formaldehyde. Okay, so I want to go two directions. One, I want to ask, how long is that going to off-gas for, right? Obviously, there's that new home construction smell where all, yeah. all kinds of crap is off-gassing. <laughs> right. But then in my existing home, which was built, I don't know, 13 years ago, I'm not really smelling anything off-gassing anymore. So are those risks now gone? And then I, I want to come back to what the healthy carpet, the, the better option is. <laughs> yeah, so two directions. So, how long does off-gassing last? So there's two different types of off-gassing in a house. One is from a cured or a a material that was applied in your house, like paint, adhesives, caulking, liquids that have to cure on site. Those particular materials generally off-gas anywhere from two and a half to four and a half years. Yes, they reduce. Day after day after day, they're getting lower and lower. Also, the most odiferous of the chemicals are coming off quicker than they get flushed out in your ventilation system. And then I want to ask, how do we expedite that? Is there something right. we can do to mitigate that? Right, exactly. My brain's going too fast. I keep in sure, That's all right. <laughs> the other part would be things like carpeting, particle board, plywood, things that aren't curing on site but are manufactured and brought into your home. I've tested carpeting that's 32 years old that still releases dangerous levels of formaldehyde. Yeah, yikes. So, so someone who's uber sensitive, yeah, even that's a correct. Problem. Yep. And so here's the thing. Our bodies are absolutely amazing. Our brain can mask just about anything. And so this brings up the conversation of chemical sensitivity. Let's say, for instance, you've never had a, a puff of a cigarette and you take your first puff of a cigarette, you cough it out because your lungs are saying, no way do I Rejecting want this. Rejecting that. Yes. Rejecting it. Carpet is the exact same way. You reject it. When you first move into a new home, anybody who moves in a new home probably gets like these flu-like symptoms, um, run down, the sniffles, itchy eyes. We all chalk it up to it's been stressful getting into the house. We all got a little under the weather, but sure. it's really the building materials. It's been estimated anywhere between eight to 10,000 chemicals in the air at any given time in a new building. Wow. Now, with something like carpet that has a very strong aroma, if you install carpet in a, in a new house, and now after about six months, go on vacation for a week or two, Come back to the house. The very first thing you'll smell is the new carpet because your brain will mask the odor. Because your brain says, well, I guess it's going to be here. So let's just live with it. People with chemical sensitivity, however, they don't have that ability because, you know, inside the body, the best, best way I describe it is inside the body, we're all born with like this 55 gallon drum that absorbs toxins in the air, through our skin, you know, what we eat. And then there's a filter at the bottom that processes it and we're good. Well, people with chemical sensitivity, that drum overflows and it never mm -hmm. stops overflowing. So mm -hmm. any little bit of chemical can cause a, a triggered reaction. And so that's why there is no like, what's the safe point for them in some of these things? Right, uh, their threshold is different than. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So back to the carpet, though, there's the a brand carpet. out of Dal yeah, yeah. Dalton, Georgia called Earthweave. Earthweave, okay. Earthweave is one of the best carpets we've ever worked with. It's truly synthetic free. 
There's also a carpet uh, manufacturer out of Toronto or Vancouver called Nature's Carpets. And do you sell those? I mean, do you I wholesale, do. like, I do. so if someone wanted to build a house and use those products, the builder mm-hmm. could get them wholesale or a, someone like me could purchase retail from you, could purchase those products. Okay. Yeah, okay. we actually, I'll, you know, secret, I would say between you and I, but in your audience, we sell everybody at the at the wholesale pricing because... How do you make money? I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that um, I don't like playing the games of giving contractors discounts because they're just taking a discount and pocketing the difference. Sure. They're not now using sure. that to promote our products down the road. So my, my thought is, you're the one making the decision. You're the one ultimately paying the bill. So why don't you get the best deal? I'll take it. That's honorable. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. So let me go back to, I know I was jumping around there. Is there anything we can do in a new home? Let's say someone just built a new home. Yes. They're, they're listening to this podcast and they're thinking, oh crap, everything is off-gassing in my home. What can they do to mitigate or reduce the off-gassing, expedite that? You know, Maybe what would have been four years of bad off-gassing, can they reduce that? What can they do? So years ago, there used to be a uh, theory that you could heat up the space to 90 to 95 degrees and what's called a bake-out, where you heat up everything so it excites the chemicals, they become airborne, and then you flush out the air. It, that particular method has been debunked many times, and so, but yet I still hear this on a daily basis from customers. Well, can't I just bake out the house? No, because what happens is you create new chemical compounds that would never exist. So it's really kind That's of robbing worse. Peter to pay yeah. Paul. It does, yeah. really doesn't work. Um, so what can you do to speed things up? Well, there's really nothing air filtration or up. air scrubbers or correct. So air filtration is what you're going to do to essentially mitigate what has now become airborne air filtration, specifically the use of carbon carbon will absorb and dissipate VOCs, gases, formaldehyde, things of that nature. So I always recommend an air purification system is a, a brand we work with called solace air that uses carbon it uses a HEPA filter, uh, a particulate filter for your particles, and it also uses UV to kill off pathogens, mold spores, viruses, bacteria. Is that like a standalone unit or something you put on the HVAC? It's actually connected directly to the HVAC system, so all the air is going through that. What's that called again? It's called Solace, Solace S-O-L-A-C-E, okay. Air RS4. Okay. Now, I want to touch on a couple things that we started talking about before. You know, the, the, the things that you see and touch on a daily basis yeah. that are the big issues, flooring, number one, number two, are all your painted surfaces, your walls, your ceilings. Now, again, like I said, those will off gas anywhere from two and a half to four and a half years. Number three, cabinetry. Now, in a home, there's if you look at the area of all the walls in, in all the rooms, cabinetry does not make a very large percentage. However, cabinets are a uh, they're made of plywood particle board, veneers, glues, and finishes. Bad, bad, and bad. <laughs> right. And what happens is every morning we wake up and we go into the kitchen, we grab a, a ceramic mug to make our first cup of tea, and we open, so we want to open up the cabinet. We get rushed in the face with the smell of the cabinets. I'm just thinking also any porous material that's being stored in the cabinets, like paper plates, or like Correct. could also absorb any of that. Ugh. Correct. And then on top of this is moisture. And so this is a conversation that that will sort of lead into the whole mold thing. But honestly, in a home, whether it's a new home or existing home, elevated moisture, elevated humidity will actually increase chemical off-gassing. And And mold. And mold, (laughs) of course. And so what happens is when moisture 
leaves a surface, it carries with it the chemical footprint of where it was. And I found this out by doing testing myself. I would do formaldehyde testing of carpeting, of woods, and so forth. How do you and do I that? I found that <laughs> if I could reduce the humidity in a home 20%, go from 60 down to 40%, and leave it at that space for about two to three weeks, I'd go back and test the exact same surfaces, and the off-gassing would be far less. Okay, how do you test? And you see, everything you say, I want to ask you <laughs> a question. On. And what should the goal be from a humidity standpoint? What do we want to keep that under in the home? Yeah. So um, how do I test? I actually have a testing system called a FRAT test, formaldehyde release attenuation test. We're the North American exclusive for this testing system. Cool. We actually can place little sensors on every surface of your house or people send me samples from all over the country to test. If they want to see if their flooring material or their, their draperies are releasing formaldehyde, yeah. I can test to tell you down to one part per billion how much formaldehyde is coming from that surface. Now, in a home, depends on where you live, of course, dry climate, moist, more moist climate. Sure. I would like to see a home somewhere between, I think, ideal 40 to 45% humidity. Yep, I would agree. I usually tell patients, try to keep it below 40. You're in Wisconsin, right? And we're yes. in Iowa, so similar climates. Yep. Correct. Our bodies are naturally designed to handle stress, detoxify chemicals, and preserve cell function. But when the burden increases, those naturally built-in systems can't keep up with demand, and we start to experience physiological changes in our bodies. What causes that burden to increase? Unfortunately, a whole list of things, including common modern lifestyle habits like poor dietary choices, lack of sleep, abundance of stress, exposure to chemicals, and exercise extremes, just to name a few. To protect ourselves from this oxidative stress, our bodies are forced to use up stores of the master antioxidant glutathione, and this works for a while. But when those stores become used up, however, our body doesn't have enough antioxidant capacity to protect itself, allowing the stress to our body's systems to cause lasting damage. That's why I recommend many of my patients take glutathione daily to help protect their natural reserves, support full detoxification capacity, and help keep their immune systems functioning at full strength. Use code GLUTATHION for 10% off at yourlongevityblueprint.com. Now, back to the show. So I yes. may go off on another tangent here. Okay. So we are we have this health clinic, right? And obviously, I see a lot of patients with mold illness. And so mm -hmm. I certainly don't want them to ever see like water damage on the ceiling tiles here. <laughs> like mm -hmm. We had one little roof leak. I'm paranoid about that, right? You have mm -hmm. to get everything fixed. Our air conditioning units were very old. I think the building was like 18 years old. So they were dying. Long story short, we ended up purchasing our building and the landlord would not replace the air conditioning units, even though they were like off-gassing, um, well, not off-gassing, but leaking carbon monoxide. It was a bad situation. So we thought immediately we want healthy, clean air for our patients. So we replaced the two air conditioning units. And boy, do they work. I mean, they're they're able to cool the place down, but the humidity immediately went up in the space. And I'm very sensitive to temperature and to humidity. I can tell by my frizzy hair, you know, <laughs> you walk in sure. and the humidity. I mean, I literally have a humidity gauge on my desk mm -hmm. right here. Yep. <laughs> it's way higher than 40%. I'll say that. So I reached out to the the company who installed air conditioning units. And of course they say, oh, this is totally normal. It's, it's totally normal. They said, these units are so new and so powerful. They're pulling more air into your space. Mm -hmm. So it's just going to be more humidity. Yes. And I'm not okay with that. So no. they had no solution other than to put a dehumidifier 
on the unit itself. So, you know, right now I have, I immediately went and purchased dehumidifiers that are sitting in the hallways of the clinic because I don't want patients, patients are walking in saying it's, you know, it's humid. I can feel moisture in here. I I have to, you know, as a business owner, I need to fix this. (laughs) Got to practice what I preach. But what is your take on that? And how do I best fix that problem? I'm getting free advice here. Do I put a... <laughs> yeah, no, this, this, is, this is great. I mean, this, yeah, this is, yeah. these are the issues that my clients deal with on a daily basis all throughout the country. So this is, I mean, it's a fantastic question. It's an unfortunate situation. Quite often, the reason why you're getting into this problem, it's not because of the fact that, okay, it is because of the fact that the new units are much more efficient. They do pull in more air from the outside and they do cool down much more rapidly. Yeah. Here's the kicker. A lot of times the HVAC contractor does not do what's called a manual J calculation. Whatever that is. Yeah. Manual J calculation is a calculation to determine the heating and cooling load of a building based upon square footage, cubic footage, for how far away from the 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 units all the rooms are, yeah. and how big or small to make the HVAC system. And because they don't do the manual J calculation, they end up over-installing or they install a, a system that's far too big for the space. Maybe that's that what happened to us. causes elevated yeah. humidity. Well, that's probably what happened to us. Okay, well, I already paid for these units. I can't return them. <laughs> so No, you can't, but you can, you can certainly tell them to you know, do their part to fix it. Now, how do you fix it? Yeah, you have to install a, a, a dehumidifier, dehumidifier, but it has to be an inline dehumidifier so that all the air that's coming into the unit from the outside is dehumidified before it gets put, pushed through the uh, the blower and the AC. Versus the standalone units I have in the hallway now. Yes, that's taking moisture out of the air, but it's not dehumidified never before it enters the, yeah. It'll never, it'll keep, never up. keep up. And so the oh, biggest issue. Makes me the so biggest mad. Issue, yeah. right, the biggest issue is that all that humidity that's coming into the unit now and then being condensed rapidly because of how large this system is, it's causing a lot of condensation in the inside is what's called a drip pan. And there's more probably water sitting in there that's supposed to get drained away. But this is where you run into bacterial issues and mold issues because of more water, more opportunity for, for problems. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, I instinctually knew just because I felt like it was too humid, we needed to do something. It's just unfortunate. And I wish I would have known this and they could have done that calculation or whatever. I, but I just listened to them and purchased the units. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners have been in similar situations. And yes. so there's still hope there's something I can do. It's just going to cost more money, sure. but that's okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's a problem throughout the industry. Yeah. For some reason, I will say this, there's a lot of good HVAC technicians out there, but for the most part, they're not scientists. They're contractors who do yeah. a job of installing equipment. They don't know how to do the scientific calculations that really are required when you're installing things like this to make sure you're not overspending, overinstalling, and and just having, you know, either way too much cold air or way too little cold air. I want to go back to VOCs, but I also feel like maybe we should stay on the HVAC topic. So sure. I was obviously talking about a commercial space, but what about with a residential space? So let's say someone does have a new build or even for an existing home, what are some things if we stay on this moisture topic also that they need to be aware of to make sure that the HVAC is is installed appropriately and that it isn't like you're saying leaving more water condensation which can brew mold. And I will say that more and more of my conversations around the country are dealing with moisture on a daily basis. It used to be that 95% of my conversations were with people with chemical sensitivity you know, how do I repaint a room without poisoning my family and so forth? Nowadays, that's about 50-50. People who are really worried about mold. Yeah. People really worried about chemicals. And actually, the two are are intertwined. 
Yep. As I mentioned before, elevated humidity is elevated off-gassing. It's also elevated mold possibilities, right? Inside of a home, whether it's a new home or existing, understand those areas where off-gassing comes from. Understand that elevated moisture brings elevated off-gassing and then an elevated chance of mold. So how do we get rid of it? Well, we got to make sure that we are monitoring what our humidity levels are in the house. I recommend that everybody buys at least one digital hydrometer. It's a $15 thing you can buy from Ace Hardware. Like this, a little gauge, you mean? Exactly right. One of those. Put one of those every floor of the home, basement, first floor, second floor, if you have it. Every day, you're going to look at it. You can look at it five times a day. You'll get five different readings because it always goes up and down with the sunrise and set, with pressure, with people in those house. But after a few weeks, you start to get averages. You start to see where you're at. And after a few weeks, you can say, all right, well, my basement's at 60. My first floor is at 56. My second floor is at 52. And that's kind of, you know, it usually goes and gets better as it goes up, right? At that point, you have to decide how do we take care of it? Or first of all, are there any signs of it being problematic? Is there any sign of mold in the basement? Is there that typical musty smell down there that is usually a combination of moisture and lime coming from the concrete? Sometimes it can be mold. Usually it's not unless you've had a water situation for a longer period of time. First floor, same thing. Do we actually have signs of mold somewhere, usually in the bathrooms, because that's where moisture congregates? If you do, is it just simply what's called mildew, which is surface mold that wipes off very easy? Or has it colonized and actually started to eat into the paint? That would be mold. Okay. If it's simply mildew, that can be cleaned off. That's probably a situation where your bathroom just needs a better ventilation fan yep. and it needs to be used more often. I think most people, and nowadays it's building code, you have to have a ventilation fan in the bathroom, but nobody likes the noise. People forget to turn it on. Honestly, you should use a bathroom fan every time you shower or bathe about 20 to 30 minutes after you're done to get rid of that moisture. 20 to 30 minutes after, yep. yeah. I always yep. keep it on, but not that long. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And so what happens is when you shower, steam, yes, goes in the air, but it's also carrying with it soap scum and dead skin cells. And that stuff sticks to the wall with the, with that moisture and eventually it dries. And then it rewets and it dries and rewets and it dries. And this is a, this cycle occurs. And then we all know that mold is everywhere. It's inside, it's outside, it's natural. You never get rid of it completely. But eventually a spore is going to find its way into the bathroom and say, hey, this is a great environment. I'm going to stay here, and that's what happens. And so it feeds off of those dead skin cells and and the soap scum. Mm -hmm. If you get rid of that steam as it's occurring and get rid of that moisture, there's less likely a chance it's going to stick. Right. At least what I've always been taught is mold really only needs a few things to survive moisture. And then Mm -hmm. also food. So like the drywall, (laughs) Mm -hmm. whatnot, right? That's why I feel like it can grow on concrete, but it's more likely to grow on the drywall versus the concrete or... But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it needs an organic material to grow yes. onto and or feed off of. Feed off. And yeah, so, exactly. you know, it's been said that, you know, people have said, oh, yeah, molting grow on, on concrete. Well, sure. If that concrete has something organic on it, whether it's, you know, human dead skin cells or whether it's old adhesive, sure, it can grow on that concrete, but it's not going to feed off the concrete itself. Sure. There's no organic material that it could feed off of. In a bathroom, if it sits there long enough, it starts to feed off the paint. It starts to feed off the drywall paper. It starts to feed off the wood. And if that moisture has found its way back through the drywall into the wood studs, now you got a problem. Now we definitely have a problem. Yep. Okay. So if someone's humidity, you're recommending they're using their humidity gauge throughout the different levels of their home. If someone 
determines that the humidity really is too high in the home, then are you also recommending they have a dehumidifier installed onto their HVAC system? Is that? I am. I'll argue that dehumidification is probably needed in about 98% of the country. So everybody. Yes. And so the problem is that in all regions of the country, HVAC systems are installed differently. So you're in Iowa, I'm in Wisconsin. Most of us have basements up here. And so usually the HVAC system is down in the basement and there's plenty of room to put add-on equipment like dehumidifiers and purifiers and so forth. And all of the ductwork, all the equipment is within what's called a conditioned space. In other parts of the country where HVAC systems are put up in attics, that is unconditioned space. And so now you have your equipment up in the attic and you know with with HVAC systems, there's all these little cracks and crevices around the filter frame and around the frame itself and the blower. All that attic air gets sucked into the HVAC as you go along. And this is where you bring in humidity and mold. Yeah. yeah. And so we really have to be concerned about how these units are are installed, how they're serviced, how they're protected. But you also have to make sure that dehumidification is involved in the process because even in a new home, the average new home built today has between four and 500 gallons of moisture in the air just from the building process, from the concrete curing, the paint curing, the wood sure. releasing moisture. And what's going to happen is, especially up here in the you know northern climate, in the middle of winter, when it's seven degrees inside of the house and it's minus two outside, you're going to get condensation building up in the glass because of the moisture in the house. The condensation falls down to the windowsill, sits there if we don't take care of it, and starts becoming problematic down the road. And so we want to get rid of that moisture out of the air when we can. So that's yeah, key tip. Very good. Okay. He is another wealth of knowledge on a topic I seriously want to continue to learn about. I appreciate him helping us know where to start and what to prioritize when making our homes more healthy. I look forward to working with him and I'll keep you posted on my future build. Next week in part two, we'll dive into VOCs, basements, and working with contractors. Stay tuned. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus, for a limited time, the course is 50% off. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I do read all the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, and for how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. This podcast is produced by Team Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, wellness is waiting. The information provided in this podcast is educational. No information provided should be considered to be or used as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult with your personal medical authority.